Before I get started, I would like to issue this disclaimer. I am not a mental health professional. I am an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I am sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911. everybody and welcome to another episode of Mind If We Chat. I'm your host Sarah and today we're going to do something and focus on the children. You know we're having our children's um, mental health panel nights so I'm actually recording this episode before the panel night and the panel night will have passed when this comes out. So so I really just want to keep the theme and focus on children here for the rest of the month. So we're going to be talking about play therapy. And I was on Instagram and I'm scrolling through accounts and I find an account, uh, Mental Health Booster. And I was looking and I saw a post about play therapy and I said, I have to reach out to this person. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. So everybody, welcome Caitlin Sampson. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So before we really talk about what you do, um, can you kind of talk to me about the, the Instagram page you have? Yeah. So basically when I was in grad school to get my master's in counseling, I, everyone was just like creating accounts and things like that. And I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing exactly yet. I know I want to like work with kids and things, but like kids aren't on Instagram or they shouldn't be. Um, so I was like, you know, is there something else I can do? And I was like, you know, I feel like social media just needs more positivity. And I think a lot of times, at least right now, mental health is starting to get more popular, but just there's still things that people don't know, or it just to give more variety of just things that people can relate to. I was like, maybe I can just go there. So I just started this mental health boosters page to just really boost people's mental health and just add more positivity to social media. Cause I feel like it could definitely use that and just like have a place where you just have cute little, you know, posts and things, but they're also relatable and it's real. So it's like, you know, has a little bit of both. And then also I am a play therapist. So sometimes I'll feature things about play therapy on there, but I just don't limit it to just play, but just having multiple kind of areas to just boost people's mental health. Yeah. And that's what I really liked about the page and what drew me in. So I wanted to know more about you because I we're from Chicago. So the podcast is based in Chicago and you're in Missouri, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So when I was looking, I was like, okay, we can make this work. And this is why we're going to make this work because yeah. we don't, when I'm looking up play therapy in Chicago, it's not really in our part of Chicago. It's more like downtown North side and we're South side and not a lot of services are offered. So maybe people don't know so much about what play therapy is. So I thought this would be a good opportunity for our community to learn. So maybe there's a therapist who's listening to this and it's like, Hey, I'm going to get on this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I feel like for play therapy, it's been around for a little while, but I think it is still just up and coming. And I think that it's something that is kind of new or people have actually been doing for a long time, but now it's becoming like more known with a name behind it. Um, because a lot of child therapists, they basically already have been doing play therapy. They just don't have like the letters behind their name and all the specific trainings, but it's actually pretty easy to kind of get into if you do have those right connections and for kids to have a play therapist, if you do know those resources, then it can, you know, hopefully it's moving your way too, because I'm Missouri side, but we're neighboring States. So hopefully, you know, it's moving that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to work in a small counseling office, a private practice, and I know she did play therapy, but I don't, I don't believe like she like was 
like it was specific kind of like licensing, but I knew she incorporated it. So I yeah. like, I've seen it before. I've seen it in action, but I'm like, maybe not a lot of people know that this is what kids do in play therapy because maybe their children have been referred and they're like, I don't know what that, no, I don't want my kid to go to therapy and talk to somebody because it's not always just sitting there and like talking, right? With right. When it comes to children. So before we really jump into the content, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I'm in the Missouri side. I'm in Kansas city, Missouri. Um, I'm 27. I'm still new to the whole field, but I feel like I've had a lot of training and a lot of background to help me get to where I am today. Um, as you mentioned, I have a lot of letters behind my name, uh, so I can go into that a little bit. Um, so I have my master's in counseling psychology, and then I also, um, PLPC, that's a provisionally licensed counselor. So I'm a PLPC in Missouri. And after a lot of hours, 3000, if you're wondering, <laughs> it's a long time. Um, yeah. but for all those hours. So in August, I will be fully licensed in Missouri. And then I'm an LPC, so a licensed practicing counselor in Kansas. Um, right now, I work at a private practice. And so I'm seeing kids and teens and helping families on both sides, Missouri and Kansas, um, at the private practice I'm at, which is Embark Counseling Services. Um, we're just in the Missouri, Kansas area. Um, and then also I'm an RPT, so that's registered play therapist. And so I went to schooling and went to another um, certificate program, which we can get into as that later um, for play therapy. So I'm more certified and I've gone through actual trainings because like you mentioned, sometimes therapists that see children, they do play therapy naturally because that is the way to, you know, have kids talk and explain what they're going through. But I just went to school to further my education and actually be a certified play therapist. And after I'm fully licensed, that's when I can submit to be a registered play therapist nationally. Okay, well, congratulations on all your achievements. Um, and I hope that you go for it sounds like you will definitely you're putting in the time and you're putting in the work and I feel like we need more people in this world like you. So, so keep on going. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to focus more on like here to here and just be more in the present moment too. Cause I know a lot of times I feel like people, they really do get caught up in all their things they're trying to achieve. And then you kind of like are just so focused on that later that you're just not experiencing or being in the moment right now. Um, so I'm really just trying to focus on being proud of myself and all of my achievements, but also not rushing the process and just right. being in the moment. <laughs> Cause it can be it can be easily swept up to, I, I got to be there now. I have only five more months, like, you know, and just experiencing it, just being in the moment also just brings you back sometimes. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. So yeah. we'll get into what is play therapy? Yeah. So play therapy can look all different kinds of ways because like normal therapy, there's different kind of orientations, but generally just the way to fully explain play therapy is just, you are in a room um, that can look different ways, but just that has a variety of toys, as you see behind me, miniatures, um, puppets, just all these different items, art supplies for kids to use. Um, so they can better explain their world. Because if you sat a five, seven-year-old on a couch and was just like, so tell me about your feelings today. They'd be like, um, I'm good. Like, you know, and they might not be able to sit here and talk like an adult can because they can't formulate what they're experiencing or maybe they're scared to just all these different emotions flood them just like it would an adult, but just to make them more comfortable and to share their world and their experiences, you just let them communicate in their ways, which is play. And what can be expected in play therapy? So that is a loaded question because it, that looks different as well. Um, kids, they could come in here and it could be expected to just dive right into it. Um, it could be expected that they're shy and you are a stranger to them and they don't really know. They're just kind of looking at the toys or maybe they are sitting on the couch and just playing with a fidget and they don't talk to you. Um, so you kind of just do your best to make them feel comfortable and let them know that, you know, in this room, you can do almost anything you want, just as long as you're being safe and you're making sure I'm safe. And if there's anything you can't do, I'll let you know. But 
for the most part, there's not anything in our rooms that can make things feel really unsafe, but there might be things that make them feel uncomfortable. So it's just like, you don't want to force that on them, but also you want to welcome them to also be in their uncomfortableness sometimes because play therapy, it seems like you're going to just come in here and have fun. But honestly, sometimes they don't have fun and it can be uncomfortable or it can be challenging to talk about their thoughts or maybe sometimes their trauma. Um, and so you just kind of just create that space for them to feel safe and to feel heard and just work on whatever they bring to you in that moment. Okay. So what is a typical age group for play therapy? Yeah. So, um, for me, the typical age group, I see four to about, I see teens as well. And sometimes the teens will play with the things, but as far as standard play therapy, about four to like 12. Um, but then with that, I think it also just depends personal preference. Sometimes people see under two, but that sometimes for people that takes more training because there are some different modalities you use for under two. Um, but play therapy can use with teens. It can be used with adults. Really. If they really just want to come in here and play, I always tell teens too, like all the items are here. I will not judge you if you want to use it. And sometimes I have teens that come in after like a long day of tests or something, and they don't want to talk. They just want to play for a second and be a kid. So it can honestly translate to all ages, but the standard ages you do see it is that, you know, preteen to younger ages. Okay. And are parents coming in with the kids at all, or do the kids come by themselves? How does that look like? Yeah. So that also isn't just another thing. It depends on what the clinician wants to do for standard child play therapy. The parent is not in the room, um, for like your first session or things like that. Um, they might walk them back or things like that. Or, you know, sometimes you can make that judgment call in the room. If you feel like the kid just really needs their parent, or if they're internalizing something that is a conflict with their parent, you could just be like, do you want to go get parents and talk to them now? You know, you can make that judgment, but typically the parents are not in the room. If you do like family sessions or there's, um, different kind of modalities that involve the family, you can do that at a separate time. Um, but typically in just standard child-centered play therapy, which is the modalities I use, the parent is not in the room. So they kind of just wait in the lobby and then you bring the child back out to them. And then you just have parent check-ins. It's typically every four to six weeks, but that can just be determined on what the therapist thinks is the best. And that's the time for the parent. So in the room, this is time for the child. And this is our time to work and just let them come in and do what they need to do. But then you involve the parents, you know, they're not shut out. I welcome any feedback from parents. And like, I have emails or they stop in the lobby real quick and just be like, Hey, this is going on. I'm like, okay, thanks. I'll see what they bring up. And then I let the child just bring that up as they first see. Um, And then I check in with parents later and either it can be just a quick, like, Hey, this kind of was a rough session today, you know, just support them, see what they bring to you. Or other times it's like, Hey, stuff is going on. Let's set up a parent meeting. And then that would be a parent meeting for them to have their time. Just like we respect the kids having their own time. The parents can have their own time to just voice all the things that they're experiencing and um, also give some tips or be given some things to work on at home. Okay. And as you're speaking about this, I did want to mention she was on our panel last night, the panelist, uh, Jessica from Urban Streets Therapy. She does incorporate play in her therapy sessions with young children. And she is in our community. Um, and she has worked with children for a very long time. So when you're talking about this, I'm like, yeah, this, this resonates. Um, but what types of trainings do play therapists have? Yeah. So um, if you are a certified play therapist, there's a few different kind of things you can do. Um, You can go to like a university and do a certified program, which is what I did. And that just had multiple classes that train you in the different modalities, uh, therapeutic techniques and um, the background of it more. And so that's what I did. And I know though that's a lot of times more common and, um, especially right now with COVID and a lot of things being online, that's a little bit more accessible, but then there are 
um, institutes that kind of have standard certification programs that don't look exactly like a university does, but you still get all the training. So I know Heartland Play Therapy, that's a um, good for in the you know Midwest, that's a good resource if you don't want to do a standard just program through a university. But theirs looks a little different, but it all at the end of the day, it's it's certified through the play therapy organization. Um, and then also you can go to that um, organization on Instagram and it is, um, let's see, the Association for Play Therapy and they can give you more information because that's who you get certified with to become a registered play therapist after you've done 300 hours of play therapy. Okay. Well, thank you for that information. That's really helpful. And I'm hoping to any future therapist who's listening to this, who is interested in play therapy, get some, you know, something out of that, because I know I'm going back to school for my master's in counseling, specifically in school counseling. (laughs) And I would definitely like to move forward with like doing play therapy, um, because I do want to also get like the the second degree to have for mental health counseling to get my LPC. So, wow. but I, yeah, I definitely want to do play therapy. I have worked with children for many, many years <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's important. I think it's needed. Mm-hmm. I agree. And to do play therapy, you don't have to be certified. You don't have to be registered. You can just be like you mentioned in your practice previously, you can do play therapy, but if you want to know more and you want to make sure you're doing all the things I wouldn't say right, but doing all the things to your best ability to make the kid feel comfortable and feel like you're doing good work, I would get certified. Um, But then it doesn't have to continue on there. You can just be certified and you can just stay in that all you want. But if you want to become registered, that's kind of the next step that's nationally known. And you become part of this like community, whether you want to do that or not, like you don't have to be super involved, but just naturally having those letters and that certification behind your name, you're a part of this community, but you don't have to go on to do that. So you can do it in steps that you feel comfortable to. I just wanted to knock it all out and get, you know, to be at the top and get more education. I like to learn and I like to know I'm doing things that I should be doing and be comfortable and confident in that. So that's why I just continue. Um, The only other thing is like I mentioned 300 hours and you have to be supervised by a certified or registered play therapist. So getting kind of that resource too, of just finding someone that is certified and um, registered under the APT and they are taking people to supervise. So looking for that as well, but that luckily it's a national thing. So you don't have to do someone that's in your state. So that's pretty nice. Yeah, that is nice. Thank you again. Thank you. You're very informative. And that's what we, what's really important here is that we're getting some good information. Um, I did hear you mention about COVID. That's something I'm really interested in. How did COVID change therapy for children? Like in your experience? Yeah. So I actually got my license 2020. So in the middle of it. So I didn't have a lot of experience beforehand and then experience middle and after. So I experienced it from the middle. Um, I did previous like internships and therapy beforehand, but that was with teens and it's a lot simpler as far as just talking because you can do that in telehealth but play therapy online is very hard (laughs) um because you it it's really challenging but it is rewarding when it clicks because you just have to be more creative you have to make sure that you are engaging the child even more because you are missing that in-person piece you're also missing that um not being right over them, but your presence in the room so that they stay on task. Um, I know probably teachers can relate to that too. Um, it was, it's kind of difficult, but if you just get a good relationship with the kids and, you know, you keep them engaged, then I think it can work. Like I said, when it clicks, it's really good. And there's like a lot of different games or, um, just like things that you can do online to keep them engaged. And also just explaining to the parents too, like, make sure you set them up in a place that's comfortable for them and then they can have privacy, but also talk to them first about the rules and things like that when you're online. Like if they don't wanna talk to me, if they wanna be done for the session, 
it's okay. I'm not going to force them and be like, no, we have 10 more minutes. You have to stay online. But I just encourage them if they are feeling just tapped out, just like explaining that. And then we can sign off instead of just closing their laptops and or just turning it away and go playing with their dog and being distracted, kind of things like that. So just talking to the parents of give them their space and their privacy, but also explain the rules and explain how, you know, during this time you stay and talk to Miss Caitlin and you do whatever activity she's wanting. And if something gets hard, explain that. Or, you know, and when you do have that relationship with kids, luckily I got relationships with kids. And then sometimes we had to use therapy on telehealth um, because our office, luckily we got to do things in person by the time I joined. So that was nice. But for other therapists, I know they were struggling a lot to try to make sure that they were doing good work, but then also just making the telehealth thing work. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious because I'm actually, um, a parent educator. I work with children zero to three, uh, and during the pandemic, that was my first year. So I had half of the school year experience working in person. And the other half of my first year in the program was virtual. So it was just like, I don't, I felt like at sometimes I felt like, I don't know what to do. So like you said, you have to get creative. What are some things that you did to be creative with some of your clients? Yeah. So, um, I would do like zoom or like, well, we did Google meets cause that's more HIPAA compliant. Um, but like we'd share screens so that also I can kind of see, make sure they're paying attention, but really just like to play games that are interactive, um, a tool that's used with play therapy is the sand tray. And so that's just where you have a tray of sand and you use like miniatures and things like that. And the kids, you give them a directive or sometimes you don't, and you just say, you know, make me a picture. But then sometimes it could be like, I want you to create what your day was like, or, you know, you just do different directives. So that way they can process through something and create something. And then they walk it through, you use the miniatures and things like that. And they explain what their picture is to you. And you ask questions and work that way. Um, so obviously you can't do that if you're on telehealth, but there is, um, online play boxes. So that's really exciting. I think one is like, um, online sandbox is what it is called. And so there's like where you can just be online and have a bunch of little miniature pictures and drag them to the sandbox. So just be creative like that. Um, also, sometimes if you know ahead of time that you want to do something like art related or things like that, you can talk with the parent and ask them, like, what are things that you guys have in your house? Like, do you have crowns and markers? Can you make sure this is available? So even if the client doesn't want to do that today, it is sitting right there in case they do. And they don't have to leave the screen and be like, mom, where's the crowns? Or like, let me go in my sister's room. And then you're waiting. And you're like, are they really in their sister's room? Like, what are they doing? Come on. But, um, you just have it already. And so just also talking with the parents ahead of time, like make sure before we get set up and it's our meeting time, you get them any and everything they could possibly need. So that way they have it there as well. And if you really struggle with a kid that stays focused, you can also do something with them too, of like, we are both going to color something. You do your version of this. I'll do my version. You're both coloring. You can play music. You can like talk while you do it. And then you share. So it's just like, they know that you're doing it too. So it's not like you're just sitting there like staring and like quiet, you know, and making them feel on the spot or like, you know, that little piece isn't there. So you just, you know, be interactive with them as much as possible. Okay. Yeah. It definitely sounds like you got creative there. (laughs) You have to, especially with clients that you see every single week, they get tired of the same thing. And, you know, you want to keep it exciting, but you want to also make sure you're doing what they need too. So I, I'm not going to come in here and have, you know, 18 different things we're going to do and make them feel like it's a task or, you know, make them feel like they're losing the piece that we have in here of them being able to do what they want and um, what they feel like they need. So I'm always like, what do you want to do today? And then I just followed their lead, let them be the leader. 
Yeah. And that was something I also observed when, um, the counselor that I worked with, she would do like play therapy with kids. She would let them choose what they wanted to do. She would let them kind of like lead and she would never say like, no, we're sitting here and we have to do this. It was definitely like child led. So, um, I, one other thing I wanted to ask is, so are you guys in person only now? Are you kind of both between virtual and in person? mm -hmm. Yeah, we like kind of do what's needed. So we do still have the telehealth option if it's available um, for people to use if they need it for some reason, or sometimes people still don't feel comfortable being in person. Um, So we do have that option if they want it. Or for example, if there's like, you know, they have a soccer game tonight and it's the drive time, they're not going to be able to make it. I'll try to still like, hey, do you want to do telehealth though? So we can keep our session or do you want to just reschedule or cancel? Um, so I try to like promote that as an option. So that way we're not always canceling, but it's not something that, you know, they need to feel forced. Sometimes kids also just, they don't, they don't fit. They, it's not going to be a good fit for them to do telehealth because they can't sit there, um, and just be focused for 45 minutes or they always have had a history of just weren't, focusing, um, on something else and not what we're doing, or they're always in and out of their rooms or just things like that. Um, or sometimes they might not be in a place where they can. So it's unfortunate if someone's in a, um, just a studio apartment and there isn't a room for them to go. And so if I know that I'm not going to put the kid in a place to where they can't have privacy. So I just be mindful of like what your clients need and how they feel about it. But we are majorly in person and then just use the telehealth option as needed. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Also, I um, wanted to know what brings in kids. Can you give us some examples of what brings in kids for therapy? Yeah. So it can be just an array of things. I know sometimes for play therapists, you get the classic parents that are like, I don't know if this is a big issue, but I just want to get ahead of it. We welcome that. Um, There's a lot of times where they're okay at home, but at school, we're seeing all these issues. We welcome that as well. Um, Sometimes it's a common, um, we see this at home and at school. So we work on kind of both. And I like to also give my services to the school as well and work with like the teacher or the counselors or whoever the support people are at the school. So that way the kid is seeing the same kind of things at every location that they're at. So it's just continuously getting to them and we're all doing the same things because that helps them just having that consistency and seeing all the support people, all those adults in their lives that they're encountering every day or once a week or whatever it is. Like we're all on the same page. So they get it opposed to having multiple adults telling them different things. Like that's confusing for a kid. And I feel like for adults too, but just adults internalize it differently than kids, especially when it's an adult kid relationship and you feel like you have to, you know, follow what they say. If all the adults are saying different things, it's kind of confusing. So I like to work with the schools as well. If it is a problem that we're seeing at school, um, it can just look like right now a lot because of COVID, like anxiety or social skills. It can be that. Um, it can be actual mental health diagnosis, something that's already been diagnosed or something that hasn't yet, but just helping with those symptoms or how to manage that. Um, it can just, yeah, it can look like a whole array of things here. And play therapy isn't just designed for one thing. Sometimes it can be a lot of different problems at a lot of different um, settings. So just seeing what the kid needs. And I like to talk to the adults, obviously, and see what they're bringing them here for. But I like to talk to the kids and ask them why they think they're here. And just explain to them that sometimes there doesn't have to be a major huge issue. And there is just an extra place for them to talk or them to be themselves to play and to um, have an adult support person that's here for them to help them. Yeah, yeah. And like play is how kids learn, right? So imagine yeah. like in therapy, what you can talk about with the child just from interacting with them and being in their world. That's why I like play therapy, you know, because you now are entered into their world. 
Yes, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's how they learn. It's how they communicate. Um, sometimes like the biggest things in play therapy, they don't even say it's what they're doing. Um, and then you can be like, I noticed you're doing that. Like, I wonder what's going on with that elephant. And then they'll be like, this elephant feels shy because people make fun of him. And then it's like, Oh, that's why we're having a problem at school. It really just, it can be so many things and just watching the client and just sometimes it's observing, but then sometimes it's actually playing with them. It's, you know, doing a task while they do something and they're the boss of the room. And sometimes that's also just what they need. They just need to be in control because in a lot of areas in a child's life, they're not in control. And so sometimes it's nice for them to come in here and have a change for once. Um, and when I'm in here, especially in the beginning, once you have a relationship, it kind of starts flowing naturally. But in the beginning, I kind of just sit back and I'm like, where do you want me to sit? Cause I want them to feel comfortable and I don't want to be sitting right by them if they're, you know, struggling with someone feeling right over them or whatever. So I just, I'm like, where would you like me to sit? And then I just watch them. I reflect their feelings or what they're doing. Um, and then just that most of the times generates conversation, but sometimes they don't say anything and that's okay. I just, I just match what they're doing. I come to where they are and I meet their needs. Um, and then if they invite me to play with them, I'll go and, you know, interact. But if they don't invite me, I'm not going to get all up in their mess and I'm going to let them just do them. And then we'll, you know, over time, generally have a better relationship where they'll invite me. But I think it's because you set that, you know, standards from the beginning that I'm not going to come and just wreck your world. You're the boss in here. You can do however you feel like you need. And I'm here if you need me. And that's, you know, kind of the relationship you set up of like, I'm just here to help you, but you have to want the help and I'm not going to be forced upon you, especially kids when their parents put them here. And if they don't really want to come, <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm not trying to be one of those other people that forces you to do things, but I'm here if you need me. So. Okay. And then from your experience, Caitlin, how long has it taken you to kind of build rapport? Cause that sounds like a really good approach. You're not forcing the kid, you're making them comfortable. And that's what kids want to feel. They want to feel comfortable with an adult. So for you, uh, in your experience, how long has it usually taken you to build rapport with your, uh, child clients? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it kind of just depends their needs. Really. My approach doesn't really change as far as like what I'm doing, but I do, you know, you have your intake session. So you understand what they're kind of dealing with or going through. Sometimes though, they don't see what they're doing as a problem and it's their parents or their teachers seeing it as a problem. So I don't ever come in here and just tackle it right away. And I think a lot of times that does work because they don't see their behavior as a problem or they don't understand why it's a problem. And so I don't push it on them. I don't, you know, like, all right. So your parents told me you're here because of this. I just, you know, let them kind of talk and explain things. And I think that does help really well. I'd say like one or two sessions really is where I start the rapport, but you never just stop building rapport. It's always continuously. I have a few clients that I've been seeing for over a year and I'm still finding new things about them. I'm still building a rapport because, you know, you don't just get the rapport and you stop and then you just, I'm like, okay, we were good now. Like you, it's a continuous thing. You're always building support. You're always like keeping that rapport because you want to model to them what like, you know, healthy and consistent relationships look like. And even though I'm a different relationship than their friends, their family, boyfriend, girlfriend, things like that, it's still a relationship that is important for them. And so just seeing a healthy, consistent relationship that's supportive is good. So you don't want to just ever stop building rapport, right. but you know, it just becomes more natural. So you don't even feel like you're doing it, but yeah, just a couple of sessions is really all I've needed. Um, I always just check into like, you know, are you getting what you need and just things like that. Um, sometimes if I do have clients that they are pretty standoffish, I don't ever push it, but I do. I can be pretty blunt sometimes when it's needed. And I'm like, I just wonder how you want me to help you because that's what I am here for. And if you don't, you know, want to do the process the way that you feel like you should have to, because mom and dad are telling you, or, you know, you feel like you have to come in here and be a certain way. I want you to forget all of that. Like in here, how do you want me to be here for you? And that 
a lot of times works pretty well. Um, I don't know. I, I gauge my bluntness depending on what's needed. I'm never just coming in here like, all right, sit down. We're going to get to work. You know, I don't ever yeah. just do that. But I feel like a couple of sessions is really all I need to start the report. And then, like I said, continuously building for play therapy. They say at least a minimum of 20 sessions um, is what, you know, to do the good standard process. But for me, I don't ever put a number on it because sometimes more severe cases can be 40 sessions or whatever the case is. And I also don't like to put numbers on things because people, especially like parents or schools will get that number in their mind and they're going to hold on to that. And they're going to see like, okay, it's been 30 sessions and our problems still aren't fixed. And I'm like, you know, but there's good work going on. Are you missing that? So I don't ever like to put a number on it. Um, And maybe there has been times where it's taken more than two sessions, but just off the top of my head, I feel like it's only taken me a couple sessions to really start gaining rapport. And I don't put numbers on things because that just leads to high expectations that I know I can obtain, but it's not up to me. It's up to the kid. And, right. you know, that rapport piece is so important because that relationship is what starts the process of change and to work on the things we're working on. But also, again, that's why I like to use the schools and parents' involvement too, because I can't sit here and change your kid. Like I can help them. I can give them tools, but I'm not going to be the one that fosters all the change in every areas of their life. You have to do it too. You at school have to help as well. Like it has to be like a full approach from everyone in the support system to be on the same page and to help them. And then that's where you'll see the growth. I mean, I'm a part of it, but the kid has to be a part of it as well. So, you know, I just like to gauge off of that opposed to numbers, but standardly, that's what they say is 20 to 40 sessions. Okay. But I like that. I like that approach of having everybody involved parents, school, because like they say, it takes a village, right? Like it really does to, to be able to help, you know, you have to work collaboratively, you know, to make things happen. So I I really like that you said that. Thank you. And, um, I wanted to ask what skills are really gained in therapy. I know everybody differs, but generally when a kid comes in, uh, what skills will they gain from play therapy? Yeah. So obviously a lot of coping skills, um, everyone could use coping skills, just how, in my personal opinion, I feel like everyone could benefit from therapy. You don't have to have major diagnosis or you have to have outbursts all the time to have a benefit from therapy. I think just having some place where there's a unbiased person um, with a different relationship that you don't feel any pressure from coming in here, it's very beneficial for people, kids, teens, adults. Like it's just very beneficial, even families, couples. Um, So that's kind of like where my belief systems are of like, you know, anyone can benefit from it and everyone can walk away with a lot of skills. Um, So like I said, like the coping skills, I like to do um, with kids. Like I like to do the skills with them so they practice them, but I like to teach and I like to promote universal skills. So that way they can use them wherever they are. Like if a lot of times, and this is just personal opinion, but if therapists are teaching a skill that involves like art or involves like a poppet and then a kid relies heavily on that skill and then they go into a high stress situation and they don't have a spot where they can like stop and go do art real quick or have their poppet that might freak them out or make them even more stressed and I think also as like when you work with kids they are always changing because they're always going into development of course and they're also just changing their environments consistently so they're always moving up in school they're starting jobs they're starting teams they're starting activities like they're always changing and doing something and so you can't prepare for just that one place um so I like to do universal skills so they can carry it with them anywhere they go this even goes into adulthood so like when they go to college they're or trade school or into the workforce, their environments are going to change. And so if they've been using this one skill from five to now 25, 
those skills are going to change and that's okay to change, but you just want to make sure you're aware. So I try to use universal skills so that way they don't have to change too much or they can be used anywhere because when you're an adult, and you're at your job, you can't just sometimes leave and go take a walk. Or when you're at school, you can't just walk out of your classroom. So like, you know, just teaching universal skills so that way they can always have something with them. And I teach multiple things so they can, you know, pick from their, you know, therapist, like say toolbox or tool belt. So, you know, uh, pick from that of what works for them in the moment, but I also don't overload them. Um, so that's like the coping skills. You also have communication skills and those are so important, um, especially for kids because they're trying to navigate explaining and they're trying to navigate communicating with their parents, their friends, their family that are not their parents, you know, their immediate family, their teachers, you know, they're trying to learn how to communicate better so people understand them, but also hear them. Um, so teaching that. I love, especially with the teens, but in play therapy, you can do it as well with the different items in the room. Um, I love teaching like self-esteem and like um, self-love. Like, I just think that, again, that's something everyone can benefit from, but especially little ones, like teaching that early because all the skills that you do teach and you do talk about in here, it's going to carry with them. Um, throughout their lives. And that's the goal, right? So I I like to teach like, you know, positive coping skills, mechanisms for themselves, but also just incorporating every bit by bit, just like positivity and self-esteem and like self-love because a lot of kids struggle with that more than we think. Right. Especially being in a pandemic, I can't imagine how many kids are struggling through that. And you know, prior to the pandemic, but even more now, you know, being isolated, being coped up, now having to go back to school and be social again. How many kids may be having issues with confidence and loving themselves again? So thank you for sharing that, Caitlin. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like too with social media and stuff, like I mentioned earlier. I think that's a parenting decision of what age you can let your kid be on social media. But I mean, some kids are, and it can be not the cause or like the root issue, but sometimes they can like look at other people and they can suffer from that confidence as well, or comparing themselves or trying to be someone else and things like that. And that can get like, you know, very sticky and a whole nother conversation. I'm sure you could do a whole nother podcast on, but uh, just, you know, just always promoting like themselves. So that way they can continuously grow and, you know, have those skills to make sure that they're being their best self all around. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 100%. 100%. So for you, Caitlin, how do you avoid burnout and what do you do for self-care? Cause you seem like a very busy woman. (laughs) It's so funny. Yes. I am actually very busy. Um, but just for burnout, I am in the beginning stages. And I feel like in those beginning stages, you don't have a lot of burnout. It's the people that have been in it for years. So I try to make sure I'm mindful of that. Um, and I just, you know, I don't let myself get to the point that I'm overwhelmed or stressed because, you know, that will lead to burnout more. Um, and I like try to keep my life pretty positive. I mean, we're human, right? We all have moments where we're stressed and where we're, there's something that we don't love and we complain about it or whatever. But I try to make sure that I'm voicing those to the right people. So that way they can kind of affirm what I'm feeling and talk me through it opposed to someone that doesn't even kind of know where I'm at. So I have really good colleagues here, um, coworkers at my practice and love them. Um, they are great. And, but they share the same experiences as well. And then also sometimes with them, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm normal. Um, these are problems that everyone has and it's not just me and, um, my supervisor, I have heard she's amazing. And I talked to her about things as well. And it's so funny. It's a running kind of joke that like I'm always asking her if I'm doing something right or if I'm doing enough and that's where I have to kind of come back on the like you know the skills that I'm trying to teach kids of like I'm doing enough and you know if I grow it's because I'm learning more things but in the current moment I'm doing what I think is right I'm doing enough because it's what I know at this time when I'm like you know moving forward in life and I'm doing this for a while I will kind of elevate and I'll know more at that time. And so like looking back, I just told a client this the other day, like looking back, 
I'm not going to have regrets because in that current moment, I did everything I could and I did everything I knew. Now growing as I should, um, I'll be fine with where I'm at now and where I was then. And, you know, just not regretting things and just knowing that I'm doing everything I can, doing the best that I can, and just talking to those people for supports when I need it. Um, I also try to make sure like I go to the gym and just stay active because, you know, that just keeps your physical body healthy. But then also, you know, when you're working out, that keeps your, you know, all the chemicals in your head flowing and doing good things. Um, and then afterwards you can go just have some good restful sleep and, you know, do that. Um, you know, dogs, I have a dog, I have two of them actually. Um, so, you know, good pet therapy. Sometimes we have, we actually have therapy dogs here at our offices. So they're oh, awesome. Nice. I love those. One day, maybe I, my dogs are not to the place where they are at to be there. So I'm not going to push that one. But um, yeah, it's just, I try to just stay really positive, active, and just connect with friends and families for, you know, the different purposes that they can relate so they can, you know, be there with me through things. Yeah. Well, that's great, Kaylin. And I like what you said, physical and mental health, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. And I try to, I try to practice what I preach. I mean, I can't, I don't like to be a hypocrite and I feel like I can't generally give kids skills and talk to them every day and then leave this office and live a different life. So I try to practice what I preach. And, um, I have, like I said, my mental health booster. I try to share positivity for people for that. Social media is very interesting, though, that I didn't think about this before I got it. I try to also demonstrate self-care through my social media. Um, I felt, especially in the beginning, having my social media page, I felt like I always had to post. I always had to interact. And it got really kind of tiring, honestly, because I felt like I was pushing it and trying to do too much to where I'm like, is this even servicing people? But even more myself, if I feel like I'm stressed and I feel that I am having to make a post because it's Tuesday at 11 o'clock and the algorithm says this is the best time to post. And, you know, like I'm getting stressed about the content I'm about to post because I got to find something clever and just like all these things. Like I was getting kind of like not burnt out yet, but I'm like, I want to delete this post or this um, page, but how can I delete a mental health positivity page? Like I just did it aligned with me. So I was like, no, I just need to take a step back. And I try to demonstrate that through my social media too. I don't post as much as some other pages do. Um, I try to interact a lot or post stories and things like that. But I was like, you know, that's okay. Cause this is what works for me. And like you said, it's gonna, you know, help me prevent burnout and it's going to help me do what I intentionally set out to do, which is just reach the people it does reach and have another post on social media that will be on someone's timeline to prevent, you know, negative things when it comes to mental health and promote the positives, but then also the real and just the positive things in general. And so that's what I've been trying to also make sure I keep in mind too, of like keeping my physical body, you know, good, but then also my mental health, just practicing what I preach and then not trying to be someone I'm not on social media or once I leave this wall. So, yeah. Right. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think when uh, my former co-host and I started, I was like, okay, like, We'll get stuff out there so we could get known. And now I'm like, I'm so busy with work. I didn't, I not, I usually post promos on Monday. If I have the time, I'll do it. But if I'm like, I want to relax, I'm going to relax. And it could go out on Tuesday. It's not that, it's not, you know, it'll get out there. So I totally get what you're saying because you don't want to get too burned out. You know, you're trying to make a positive impact, but you can't do that if you're burnt out or you're, you know, you're mentally tired. So, yeah. And I can't be, I just can't feel like I'm being fake and not genuine when I'm posting something about positivity and not being stressed or, you know, self-care and things like that, that I post on my page. But then the person behind it is like, 
oh, finally, I made that post. Oh, let me go like a bunch of people's Instagrams now. So they follow me and they go like my, you know, like if it's just fake and not something enjoyable, why even do it? So I'm like, you know, if I only post once a month, I post once a month, but I am happy and my content is great. And when I go interact with people, it's because I generally want to interact when I post, when I share all that stuff, like found you on there and like, you know, things like that, like that was their genuine connections that led us to doing this. So it's just Mm -hmm. like, when you do things like that, because you want to, not because you feel like you're forced and you have to, especially because I'm not a paid promoter influencer on there. It's not like I have to do it. I'm just doing it because I want to. So it's like, it's so much better. And I try to just stay positive and make sure I work that into the social media realm of the world. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that realness to the podcast because that's what we do here. <laughs> Absolutely. So, again, can you mention to uh, us where we can find you and your positive Instagram posts when you feel like posting? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me on um, Instagram. I also have Facebook, but okay. Instagram at Mental Health Booster. Um, and if you're in Missouri or Kansas and you want, you know, mental health services, you can also find me at Embark counseling services. Um, but just definitely checking in. I always welcome people on like my mental health booster. If they do need resources, even if I'm not in that state, I'll try to connect with people that are to make sure people are given those resources. Cause I agree with you, what you mentioned earlier, just like sometimes in communities, they don't have the resources or sometimes they just don't have the knowledge of the resources. So I try to promote like the people I connect with. I try to promote their practices or something. So that way, if people do, you know, follow me in there in that state, they can know that that's someone to go to, or like, I can try to find someone for you. Um, we're, you know, Google's our best friend. So try to, you know, look up some resources because sometimes it's like, just because you don't know, doesn't mean someone else in your kind of community doesn't. So just reaching out, um, and play therapy is starting, like I said, to be more of a known thing, um, because it's starting to have this name attached to of play therapist instead of just going to a person that works with kids and they have toys, you know, so, you know, reaching out and trying to find some more people like that. Um, the APT, like I said, association for play therapy, that is a page that you can go to on Instagram and they share people in all States all the time when they're newly licensed. So you can try to find someone in your state, um, and do that. So yeah, that's where you can find me in. I will be posting when I feel like it, but I'm always available. <laughs> oh, thank you, Caitlin. See, I knew when you said Google's your best friend, I knew, I knew there was something there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So again, Caitlin, thank you for joining us all the way from Missouri. It was great to have you on here and thank you for sharing all this information, but guys, don't forget, we do have Pilsen Wellness Center. They were on last week's episode. We do have Pilsen Wellness Center in our community where they do do therapy individual therapy uh they are looking for more therapists you know to do child uh, child therapy but we do have jessica b urban streets therapy right in south chicago and she does provide uh children play groups there so make sure to check her out and that's it guys that's it for another episode <laughs> so again caitlin thanks for joining us we'll be making sure we look out for you and all the amazing things that you're doing so thank you for all your hard work And thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was fun. Uh, All right, guys. Well, it was great to talk to you and we'll see you in the next one. And Jessica will actually be joining us on the next one. I don't want to forget to mention that. All right, guys. Bye. I am not a mental health professional. I'm an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I'm sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911.